Call. Yep, thank you. Roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee is not here. Trustee Charland? Here. Trustee Chaplin? Here. Trustee DeVries? Present. We have a call. Yes. Uh, general public comment? No, we have a specific comment under item, in a later item. Uh, thank you. First item is approval of minutes. Do I have a motion? So moved. Here. Sorry, I meant to take this off. Yeah, a question. Uh, in, in one of the comments uh, about, um, I think it was about the um, health benefits, one of the last things, uh, oh, it was uh, the pension plans, and it says you ask a question about um, the which plans were defined medical benefits, and I was trying to confirm if that was defined medical benefits or defined benefit. I thought it may have been, it's just been defined benefit. It would be the latter. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so maybe just strike medical of that part in it. Sorry, that's to your minutes, but I just. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. With that amendment, uh, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, motion passes. Let's go on to information items. CFO, Nancy. Good evening. So I'm just going to touch on the um, August 2018 highlights, and then we'll talk about the, the forecast so through the fiscal year end and then for the 12-month rolling forecast. Um, so the inpatient activity continued to be really strong in August. Um, both acute and post-acute days were over budget. Um, the acute patient days were 4.8% over budget for August, 7.1% year-to-date, and 6.8% above the prior year. Post, um, the acute discharges, while they were over budget um, by 1.3%, the average length of stay um, still continues to be above budget and above prior year, so overall patients are staying longer. Um, on the post-acute, um, the days were 2.4% above budget. Um, our clinic visits in August were 3.2% below budget for the month, but they're just over the budget for year-to-date and 2.9% above prior year. Emergency room visits uh, continue to be below budget. They were 8.6% below the budget for the month. However, they're just about the same as they were the prior year, so I don't know how uh, you know, the budget was spread, you know, it's used a couple different years worth of seasonality, so it may have something to do with that. Um, and then the physician uh, work RVUs were actually 17.1% above budget in the month and 9.4% over year to date. So some awesome work by our providers. I'm just trying to kind of get the clinic visits versus the work RVUs and why, if the clinic visits, right, are down, why would the work RVUs be so much higher than budget? It, it kind of the dynamic isn't working unless you've got more intensive visits. And well, and also it includes um, outpatient surgeries, inpatient activity. So there, the physician services includes all of okay. the activity, not just the clinics. All right. all right, so all the work RVUs are getting folded in. Yeah. All right. So um, as we saw in July, normally when activity is over budget, we would expect the net patient services revenue to be above budget. Um, but again, um, in August, the net patient services uh, were 
revenues were under budget by $2.3 million. And this is consistent with the $27 to $29 million shortfall that we found when we updated the budget. Um, the month of August overall looks okay though because um, operating expenses were under budget by $2.6 million offsetting that shortfall and actually year-to-date net operating revenue is just over budget. So um, I do want to make a, a comment though that um, you know we're booking the supplemental revenues to budget um, and we still have not received CMS approval for fiscal year 19 um, amounts for GME. EPP and QIP. So while we are, you know, still assuming that they are going to go through as as planned, we still haven't got that. Um, I just need to say that. No, it's really it's a very yeah, it's booked in here. Um, we're accruing it. We expect um, that the the programs are going to go ahead. We just don't have amounts. What portion of the supplementals are accrued um, versus actual? So. Most of them are done on an accrual basis. We have to estimate because, you know, prime GPP until the year's over, we don't really know. We just have to assume um, we estimate how much we're going to get. Um, again, same thing for you know the the rate ranges. You know, until sometimes towards the end of the year, we're really not going to know the amounts that we're going to actually have actually coming to us. So, I mean, if we if we didn't. If we waited until we knew what those amounts were, we'd you know, be, have no a real big shortfall. <laughs> right, right. It, it wouldn't. Uh, it just wouldn't be tenable. Right. What, what? So, what sort of um, process do we go through to uh, project, project what those supplementals will be? I think we probably talked about this in the past, right. but I. I I didn't, uh, wasn't thinking of the amount of accrual. Right. So we, when we budget, um, like for example, for prime and GPP, which are, you know, some large amounts, um, we, we don't budget for the whole amount. We assume that we may not be able to meet the targets because it's dependent on, I mean, we, uh, the, um, the GPP, for example, the thresholds continue to move up. Um, and we know, you know, our, our uninsured population has, you know, relatively been stable and in some cases we have less services that are coming around for that. So, um, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, emergency or pregnancy related medical services that they may not, they may not show up. So we, we have a tendency to book um, a budget at like 95% or 90%. I'm not sure what we put in for this particular year. Um, and then um, for the rate range, we, you know, we, for those um, programs, we pretty much assume that we're going to get about the same amount that we got the prior year, um, you know, unless we see something different happening in the, okay. in the you know, overall program. Good. That's, that's important context. Thank yeah. you. Andy, I was going to say, I, I, I need you to keep saying this, so I don't apologize for saying it. Um, the difference between the EPP and QRP than the rest of the supplementals is those programs are approved, and so it's just a matter of you know, the determination of what those ultimate amounts will be and, and, and how that fluctuate, where, whereas these, the first year was approved, um, uh, and that was last year, right. and all of us, so it's not just us, but all the other safety nets are operating on the premise that uh, the likelihood is great that the subsequent years will get approved, but 
it's still not done and the amount is subject to change and all those things. So we're, we're operating on the, the basis of the best available information uh, uh, in which to make that. I think that's kind of, uh, that should be our theme song. <laughs> in finance. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, in all the often, in particular at the early stages, they get finalized after, and sometimes right. even up to a year after you know we've been in it. So I don't know if that's always the case, but a lot of times there's a, a significant lag. What, when do we know uh, what the receipts are going to be around Measure A? Oh, that's a little bit more uh, concurrent. I, I mean, I we get we get monthly reports from the county. Inspector. And so we, um, we get a monthly report from the county, and they issue. So ironically, that's one of our more reliable, predictable sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the economy falls. Yeah, until, yeah, until yeah, that happens. It can fluctuate a lot more than the order. Right. Depending on how many cars there are. Yeah. Depending on how many cars are sold in the county. Right. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> I guess one more question on the uh, supplemental revenue yeah. 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 How do you time that? Because it looks like, if I look like the, the year to date, right, versus how much we accrue. So what's the timing of that? accrual and how do you determine which which period it gets accrued in we we actually book it to budget on a on a monthly basis okay. and then um you know when it gets closer towards the end of the year if we see any issues we would adjust it or you know we'd adjust it anytime we found something that was different so for example in fiscal year 18 we had been booking i think 95 percent or something like that for the um for the the GPP and then the prime we had we we thought we were only going to meet 53 or 53 or four of the 57 measures at, at the end of the year when we did the final reports we actually found that we pretty much got all of the GPP because we were at a hundred percent of the, the threshold and then we um, uh, that we got 55 out of 57 measures for prime so in June we were able to book those additional amounts because we we knew that we were going to get them. So it's just kind of spread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what it's kind of. Thank you. Um, and so I just want to just highlight some of the expense variances. Um, the FTEs were under budget by 134 FTEs in the or 3% of FTEs in the month of August. Total labor expenses were 2.1 million or 3.5% under budget. Year to date, um, the variance is 2.7% in FTEs and 2.1% in um, in total labor expense. And the reason that it's different year to date is that um, in June or July, I had mentioned that there was a large claim that hit our um, um, employee benefits for the the medical expense, and so that should even out over the year, um, or we'll get some kind of reinsurance for it. So year-to-date, we're, we're still showing that we're over budget for that. Um, both our worked hours per adjusted patient days and the compensation ratios are below budget um, and below prior year, so that's really great. Um, Repairs, maintenance, and utilities for the month were over, or one of the expenses that were over for the month, and that's mainly due to utilities and phone expense. Um, and then the outside medical services, they fluctuate month to month, so they're over in August, but they're under year to date, so that's just one, it just depends on when it, how it hits. 
But overall, um, AHS has done a great job at controlling expenses. Um, from the balance sheet side, um, while net AR days have dropped, our gross AR days have increased a little bit since year end in the prior month. Um, there's a slight increase in our AR that's over 270 days old. Um, we, we've seen an overall increase in accounts receivable due to some staffing issues and some EBU issues, um, but we're um, working on resolving that. Um, the AP days have continued to decrease, um, and then we continue to be compliant with the terms of our um, credit agreement with the county, and we expect to be at your end. So you have in the packet um, a financial forecast that goes through fiscal year end so that you can see how we expect to do compared to budget, and then also the rolling 12 month that goes from August through July. So for the fiscal year, 2019 forecast, um, the assumptions are basically it started with the, the budget spread, which was done volumes, you know, historical, seasonality, um, salaries and supplies were spread in volume, and then the salaries adjusted for holidays and contractual increases. We I increased the gross inpatient revenues um, 2% pretty much across the board. Um, we've had some changes on how we treat um, the billing or the charging for patients in the ED with admit orders that there's not a bed available yet to move them to. Um, we, uh, the net patient services revenue was adjusted to account for the revised budget calculations um, and the shortfall. The salary savings factor was applied based on the potential to hold the vacancies um, that we have. So it's, I've kind of gradually reduced that. Um, Assuming that you know there's going to be some hiring, there's going to be some flexing up of uh, part-time staff, um, and so it's kind of a gradual um, decrease in that salary savings amount. So executive management has been working on vetting the vacancies and determining de determining an ultimate plan um, to close that gap. Um, so not to impact the provision of patient care and to continue to move towards our benchmark performance. Um, and then also looking at the reduction of overtime as a percentage of salaries. So my estimate is probably a little bit more conservative um, in terms of not being able to maybe decrease as much because we don't have the specifics on the specific positions um, planned out yet. Um, but I, you know tried to do some sort of a projection. Um, benefits are lower because they're adjusted to the lower salary numbers. And then the, we also see that we, we probably will have some sort of a, um, a savings in our workers' comp expense just based on um, what we've been seeing. And then purchase services and supplies and general administration expenses, will um, they have reductions that's based on a review of prior year's spend compared to the budgets. Um, and so that's accounts for about $9.9 .9 million. And those are um, expenses that we expect to be able to, um, to hold down. So based on those assumptions, you can see um, this shows the actuals for July and August. And then because there's so many columns, I just put the total for fiscal year 19 as projected compared to the budget. 
Um, with the assumptions that I've included in here, you can see there's still a gap of $6.1 million compared to what we had budgeted, and the EBITDA would be down to 4% instead of the 4.6%. But again, you know, executive leadership is working on specifics to help us meet um, our budget targets. So is it safe to say some of those assumptions have been included in the forecast, mm -hmm. and when it's finalized, then... Um, it'll be updated. It'll be updated. Yes. Got it. Thank you. She's taking a more conservative approach because the details are not yet finalized. That's, that's how I understood that. I just want yes. to clarify. Thank you. So then for the 12-month rolling forecast, essentially um, it starts with the forecast for the fiscal year, um, and then it, it adds on July of 2019. So July of 2019 is based on the July 18 actuals with the following changes. Um, I've increased gross revenues and contractuals by 2%. Um, the supplemental revenues were adjusted for the known changes that we have in the waiver for both GPP and Prime, and it's using 90% of the potential amount. I increased the um, HCAP capitation contract with the county by 1%. Labor, labor and physician contract expenses were increased by 3%. Um, supplies were increased by 1%. Outside medical expense and depreciation were booked in at the May budgeted, May 2019 budgeted amounts. So this does not assume any budgetary cuts or changes in services, but it will give you an idea of if nothing was done, how um, revenue and expense are likely to trend. Sorry, Nancy, just to that that county contract is HPAC, right? Did I say the wrong it's, thing? No, it actually was up there. It's HPAC, and I was like, wait, that's not. Oh, HPAC. HPAC. I just transitioned. I transitioned. Sorry about that. It's a funding source. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anybody else to be like, what the heck is that? Sorry. Let the I planted that in there to see who would find it. <laughs> I think that's the first time. <laughs> Okay, so um, so this shows the 12-month summary of the rolling 12-month projection through July 2019, and it, I just compared it to the 2019 budget, so there was something to look at it compared to, um, and you can see that this projection is actually about $3.6 million worse um, than what the, the fiscal year 19 projection would have been, and that's basically due to the supplemental revenues going down um, because of the waiver and then the increased um, labor costs. So it just kind of gives you an idea of how things will trend without some intervention um, on the part of NHS. And of course, again, as with the supplement, the other supplementals, we don't know what those the amounts will be. So as we you know, when we see the amounts that are approved for 2019 for whatever programs or what happens with the GME program, then that may affect um, this projection as well. Is, is this, I'm sorry, is this slide in our online packet? Yes. Yes. It's page 23. Okay. She took the last part of it to oh, yeah, I see it. Okay. Yes. I couldn't fit it all on there. No, no, no that's right. Okay. Okay. We're just, we're just yeah. flipping through a one and one. Where did I drive off the road? Right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Got it. So that's all I have. Do you have any questions? Any other questions? Thank you.
Chief Operating Officer. Welcome back. Thank you. It was, smiling. It was wonderful. Fully refreshed. <laughs> Thank you. No, so I, I, um, as far as the COO report, so I've got two items that I'd like to update you on. Uh, the Chief Operating Officer report, uh, I have it in your packets. I, I wasn't planning on going through the slide deck. I was just going to highlight several key points, um, one of which, again, piggybacking on what Nancy has reported overall. Strong performance for the month uh, in, in, in relation to expense management. Uh, all of the areas continue to focus on uh, managing their operations efficiently, effectively, looking at our benchmarking, looking at our productivity, and flexing to volumes. Recognizing that we did have increased volume in our acute care services, our hospitals were very, very busy. Um, uh, you know, we still were able to manage uh, those with, you know, with the uh, with our resources. Uh, in ambulatory, uh, although our visits for the month were slightly below budget, the year to date through August um, uh, was right on budget. And although they were three percent below on volume, they were almost ten percent below in expenses. So again, they're they're managing to their to their volumes. They're continuing to look at that. July and August are. Oftentimes, um, you know, vacation months for some of our providers, some of our doctors, and so that would explain some of the, the visit volume um, fluctuations. Equally, this year we introduced seasonality based on historical trends. And so we're looking at that even closer now as well because, you know, how, how did that spread occur? How did we do that based on clinic days, not necessarily just the experience from previous years and historical performance by month? So we're wanting to work through that and we're continuing that work. But um, those were some of the highlights that I wanted to make sure I pointed out that although clinic visits were slightly below in, in August, year to date, they're right on target. We're continuing to monitor that. We did have some vacations and things like that with providers. Uh, but expense management, which to me is extremely important, that if we're not having the volume, we need to make sure that we're managing expenses appropriately, they're doing so. And we saw that as well across in uh, the acute care as well as the uh, behavioral health. Um, regardless of you know the, the challenges that we've been experiencing, obviously, with our behavioral health population. But we're seeing volumes continue to increase there as well uh, due to changes in, in things that are happening in the community as well. And so we're starting to see increased volumes in our PES that we weren't seeing before as a result of some of the changes that have happened. Uh, there was a recent uh, realignment of, of, um, of Sossel Creek and one of the providers in the area. And so we're starting to see some, some uh, additional volumes in, in our PES. And so we're managing that, but they're still doing uh, well within their resources. And then lastly, in post-acute, uh, we've been very busy. Uh, we, we've had our patient days have been significantly higher, and again, great performance. And, and uh, our post-acute team, Richard and, and all of his staff, really managing that uh, that patient population and doing it very effectively. So, uh, again, strong performance from an expense management perspective. Uh, this work is ongoing; it continues. That is our, our focus to support our teams to ensure that we're that we're providing consistent and 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 uh, high quality care. Uh, but making sure that we're doing it aligned with uh, the demands that are placed on, on our staff. Can you elaborate a little on the changes in the community regarding behavioral health? Because I, I, I mean, we, if, if the service, <laughs> we're, the la we're the place of last resort, right? And then um, if we hit a, a certain um, threshold, then we, we enter that, that status where we have to alert the county and other providers as far as PES goes. I mean, that was a really sensitive issue for us a couple of years ago. So is there some major shift that we should be concerned about? With, uh well, so there was, and, and again, I know that I've got, uh, and, and I want to be very sensitive. I want to be very careful, and I'm happy to uh, 
uh, work with Dr. Tribble, Karen Tribble, to provide a more detailed update, either at QPSC or I know that they will be providing an update at QSC, uh, QPSC this, okay. this coming, this, this month. Yeah, that thing, that process is still in place. If like PES is wrapped up, that they will... No, no, yeah, that's, but I think to your question, so like I said, at QPSC this month and in a week or so, behavioral health will be providing the update, SBU update, so I'll make sure that she provides additional context to this. But what's happening is, to Trustee Banerjee's point, our census management plan is still intact, and that's been very effective. We continue to manage that, and that's when we see... the PES. But that's the census management plan. What I'm talking about is that we have seen some changes. Uh, you know, the, the county uh, made a change in, in, in their structure with one of the, you know, one of the providers in the community in Sausal Creek, where their, you know, their services and their scope of services was modified slightly. And as a result of that, I know that we have seen some patients that have been, you know, transitioning over to John Joe for services. And so I know that Dr. Tribble is working very closely with, okay. um, you know, behavioral health care services and, and making sure that we're continuing to partner uh, to ensure that we're providing the necessary care to that patient population. Okay. Sosso Creek is an intervention that hopefully keeps people from the correct PES. Correct. Right. So you're saying there's been a reduction in services there? I, I think it's a realignment of services, what they used to provide. You know, they used to do certain things, uh, you know, as far as, um, you know, managing medications and things like that and, and medication clinics and stuff like that. And so, like I said, I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn or out of context, but I know that that was, um, you know, there, there was a realignment in the services that were provided, and I know that Dr. Tribble is working closely with okay. uh, the team at Behavioral Healthcare Services to make sure that we're, you know, a lot, you know, that we're continuing to support one another and that we're most importantly caring for those patients. So it sounds like we should uh, read the report and the the QPSC. I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Fair. I won't push any further. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we will provide more detail at that point. Cool. And that's all I have unless you have any other questions regarding the COO report. Other questions? No. Mm. Mm. I, I, I can and update us on. I, I can. I was just wanting to make sure we're in the one time that you have. So, I, as uh, I, I wanted to, the next item on the agenda is a, a brief update, uh, executive summary and brief update on our progress, current uh, current progress up to date uh, for the SB90 Alameda Seismic Compliance Project that we're working on. Uh, this is something that we discussed uh, for several months. We've been discussing. I know that we, were, you know, at the retreat, we had a you know extensive conversation, discussions around that, and there was, uh, you know. Uh, direction from, from the board saying that we really need to continue to push this uh, forward to, to meet the uh, guidelines that were established by the state to be fully compliant by 2020. We've had some challenges. There's been a tremendous amount of activity that goes with this project. Uh, it's very complicated. It's, it's, it's uh, dealing with, you know, Alameda Hospital that uh, uh, is, has had and experienced a tremendous amount of deferred maintenance, and so we're wanting to make sure that we drill down and we look at what is the scope of services, what we need to do, and how we can mitigate any unforeseen circumstances that can then really impact not only timing but also cost. And so we're wanting to make sure that we look at that. And so as, as we were going through this, uh, this process over the, the last several years, uh, you know, because this project has been going on since pre-affiliation uh, prior to 2013, and then it kind of fell off a little bit, and then we picked it back up, and, and we've been working diligently to try and move that forward. And so um, 
we were trying to keep these paths concurrent by separating the project and having the make ready work done up front while we were finalizing the efforts for the large seismic retrofit, which is in increment one and increment two. When we did that, we solicited proposals from, from contractors and, and I, I, you know, really, I think, largely driven by the current uh, state of, of work that's available. Contractors weren't very motivated to take on a smaller project of that size, those make readies. And so the, that was reflected in their pricing, you know, that, that was significantly higher than what we had estimated. And so we said, ooh, this is not going to work. I mean, we've got to make sure that we manage this. So to try and attract uh, uh, you know, these, these contractors and draw in some of these economies of scale, we went ahead and said, let's lump this together. Let's put it all together, and we will take a construction manager at risk process. Exactly like we're doing at San Leandro. So what this will do now is it will allow us to really get the ball rolling and starting to prepare for these make rays while also working with the design team to finalize the design work and you know the efforts to really uh, identify the true scope to minimize these unknowns, which again, they're never guaranteed. There's always unknowns, especially in old buildings. But we want to try and minimize those and build those in. So the plan is for us to continue with those efforts, bring in a contractor at risk, have them, uh, you know, we will be presenting, and, and our plan here in the sequencing is that I would like to bring this, you know, we're ready to bring this to uh, our finance committee for consideration in November, where then we will give them the notice to proceed. It will allow them the next several months to finalize those designs for increment one and increment two while positioning and mobilizing for the make raise. And then we will look at receiving a guaranteed maximum price as part of the construction manager at risk model in February or March. What this does is it extends our timeline to June of 2020. So as we were anticipating and our goal was to try and get this project completed by January of 2020, we've, we slipped uh, as a result of the many things that we've been dealing with. We've had some slippage. But luckily, uh, you know, the governor signed the AB 2190 that we were uh, closely monitoring, which gives us an extension or extends the SB 90 deadline from January 1, 2020 to July 1st of 2022. Not that we're going to get anywhere close to 2022, and I don't want to, and I hope not to, but it's nice to have that cushion in the event that as we're going through this project, if we have any unforeseen issues or anything that requires us to look at having additional time, it's wonderful to have that. Um, so again, our construction schedule is in the packet. We're again tracking to move forward and continue on pace for a June, um, you know, uh, what we call substantial completion or occupancy. But we'll continue to monitor this very closely. So for this is informational at this point, but for just to you can plan out and forecast, we're hoping to come back in November with a we're looking to come back in November with a recommendation for a contractor at risk that then will be followed by a GMP in February or March from that contractor, and then the project mobilizes at that point. So that's where we're at. Um, continues to be a focus area for us. I am working very closely with uh, the district board at Alameda Hospital. Uh, our executive director, the executive director for the district board, uh, Ms. Stebbins, uh, her and I have been in close contact. We've been working closely together. We have a subcommittee of the district board that is looking at all of the seismic work, not only for 2020 compliance, but also 2030. So I've kept them informed, and I also plan to provide this very similar report at the district meeting uh, in a couple of weeks, um, the 22nd of October. So they're all, uh, you know, they've been aligned, they've been, you know, we've been communicating, and, and I want to make sure that I keep them informed. 
but wanted to make sure that this board was aware of all the efforts and the work that's going on before that. I, I just, I, I appreciate the uh, course change. Um, and I think I'll have a little more time because the uh, construction reality in the Bay Area has changed dramatically, particularly on uh, both the labor and materials side. So I did have one question. Um, where are material cost uh, increases uh, in this new strategy? Is this a way to control? Uh, we're seeing a lot of material cost uh, Inflation. Uh, does, is this a way to control that, the way you structure this contract? Or is that, are we still at risk for uh, some of the consequences that are coming from the trade war and, and so forth? Uh, it, this doesn't completely mitigate that issue. Uh, more than anything, yeah, more than anything, what this model does is it helps us on the administrative side, on the construction administration side of it, where you don't have multiple mobilizations. Yeah. So you have a team mobilizing for uh, you know, make readies and another team mobilizing for increments. It's, it, you know, it's, it's trying to reduce that overhead, essentially, uh, in the construction administration process, but also drawing in synergies of having the same group looking at all the work and how they can maybe get ahead. And from a timeline perspective, from an efficiency perspective, it really does draw in uh, some, some gains in doing it that way. Yeah, but the hope is that by consolidating like from these two two different things into four, there'll be some efficiencies in in the it it, it, it won't be it be less than what it would have been if it, if these had been discrete RFPs. I, would, I absolutely, and that's what I was saying. So I mean, you know, when you're looking at, if for example, when we're looking at the make readies and you do those independently, you have one contractor. They've got all their construction administration, construction overhead. They've got their, you know, their uh, mobilization costs. They've got, you know, they're, you know, they're bringing in, you know, infrastructure. They're bringing in porta potties. They're bringing in, you know, they're dealing with parking issues. They're dealing with all these things. Those are all costs that you're paying them. Then you're going to pay somebody else the same thing. By doing all this, again, you have economies of scale. So there are some synergies. I don't have a dollar value, and we're hoping to see that. And equally to that same point, um, you know, by having a more attractive project, you know, someone bidding on a $500,000 project is less motivated than someone bidding on a $20 million project. I'm just curious to know, sorry, no. that the consultant who was assisting with this mm -hmm. didn't suggest this in the first place. Was there a reason why you were, like, cleaving these two into different um, proposals? So the consultant that we, we were working with, for, this, was a, this was a professional estimator. So, you know, with large projects like this, we want to make sure that we bring in an estimator that will give us a sense of, here, here are the approved plans that we have from the state. I like to kind of get a sense of what this looks like. They gave us a dollar value, so then when I go out to solicit proposals and bids from contractors, I have something to compare against. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this contract uh, was for that consultant. And so there was a, we, we noticed a, a, a variance when, when that happened. So they weren't really contracted to offer an alternative or a delivery method for construction. Okay. That was us and the design team. Okay. And the reason why we were originally separating them was really just to try and keep the project moving forward to meet this very compressed timeline that we had so we have to be done by January of 2020. Right. You know, but now that obviously, you know, we have the, the benefit of, of AB 2190, but just recognizing that to do this correctly, to make sure that we don't put ourselves in a compromising position, um, this was the best approach moving forward, leveraging that extra time. That makes sense. Thank you. And I think, I, I just think you're going to get a better product yep. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, I really feel more confident with one 
you know, CM at risk, I, I think that really makes a lot of sense. And I also think we should just, uh, you know, be excited about that, that April groundbreaking. Yeah, I think once the people allow me to see that we're breaking ground in April, um, it's not like we're going to stop. And um, I don't know if I've ever seen a construction project get finished on time, so, um, you know. What happens? It does. It does. Yeah. 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 This, this one did, yeah. So far. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, what I'm saying in general, like in, in, the, in the construction world, people kind of expect delays. And I don't think a June of, of 2020 mark is that bad uh, versus, versus January. Um, it, it's functionally, it doesn't really change what the organization is doing. Well, I guess it does sort of beg the question of whether we have incentives for the contract, chosen contractor to perform within the timeline. That, that's, that's something that we could certainly build into the contract. I mean, you know, that's something that you do. I mean, you know, you, in some contracts, you you build in some liquidated damages or incentives, depending on how they, you know, they perform. But uh, again, I think under the, in the CM at risk, when you're looking at a GMP, I mean, you're, you're wanting to make sure that you're, they're, they're at risk already. I mean, they're, 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 they're right. banking on the fact that they've been very thorough and that they're going to make sure they deliver a high-quality product, right? So. Right. And, 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 and to Trustee DeVries' point, I also wanted to say, San Leandro at 60% right now of the project, I was on time and budget. I wasn't referring to our, I wasn't referring to our projects. projects in the city. But no, but I also think it's important because we had this conversation yesterday that, you know, we're not uh, out of uh, compliance with our, GP, uh, J, uh, our JPA with Alameda Hospital. I mean, we said we would get this done in 2020, uh, and that's what we're that's what we're going to deliver. Um, and so, um, I just think it's 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 good. It's happening, and we should we should mm -hmm. be excited about that. Yeah, I, I just want to echo that. I think it's really uh, helpful the, the interaction that you're uh, proposing to have with. Uh, yeah. Alameda Hospital uh, committees and, and the and board because uh, we heard some feedback that suggested people fell out of the loop. Whether that's true or not, they're feeling that, and I think it, it's it's good that you're going out of the way to, to bring them in. The other, uh, I have one last suggestion that is around the, I'm, I'm <laughs> as as a individual that manages a organization doing affordable housing, uh, this material cost issue is is off the charts right now, and it just presents an unknown uh, in these projects. So one strategy would be to retain the uh, value engineering consultant to through the process, you know, not, not necessarily full-time, full engagement, to pull them in to, at moments where you're actually having to purchase the contractors purchasing drywall or whatever material mm -hmm. material in order to give some sense of, you know, uh, is this a, the best way to go? Is there an alternative approach on the material? So that, that would be just one one suggestion I would have on this. Excellent. No, appreciate it. Thank you. We'll mm -hmm. certainly look at that. So right. even in GMP things, if your things go creep out of. Oh, yeah. The material cost is high. You have to, you have to renegotiate. Yeah, it it you you realize cost overruns um, because you're not committing to, unless you structure your contract. Well, under the way. G under the GMP, they would be at risk for that. Right. So they they would be at risk. They would bid accordingly. 
So, but there's but there's still some value. I mean, I think there's a there's a plus and minus here, right? I mean, it's right. it's one of those things where they may then be a little bit uh, conservative in their in their in their pricing because they're anticipating some of these, you know, extremely high costs. And so we want to manage that up front. But once we engage in a contract with a GMP, then really they're at risk for any fluctuations yeah. in, right. in okay. cost. And Misunderstood. so, yeah, they go up, then, you know, they, they're, they're going to be working hard and they're going to come into us to see how we have find, we can value engineer certain things. If it goes down, yeah. you know, then, then they need to take advantage of purchasing and, right. and moving that forward. So that, the GMP will, will mitigate some of that. But for us, it gives us that, you know, kind of that, that stability and, and we, we know exactly where we're at and that we're in, you know, in the project really together to try and resolve, you know, effectively. Because it's allowed to exceed on the... Correct. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that report. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. It's a great approach. Okay. Uh, let's move to the next section, which relates to uh, contract approval. And let's see, the chief medical officer. No, that doesn't look like him. You're the designated uh, victim today. Okay. So this is uh, regarding the, the first stop uh, contract item, uh, Caragon. Yes, for Caragon. Oh, sorry for that. I uh, I was answering. Discussions. <laughs> this is uh, the contract uh, for uh, Dr. Valerie Ng. It's a contract that delivers pathology services and lab clinical services at Highland. Uh, she is also serving on the board of Alameda Health Partners. Uh, this is uh, just like a renewal and extension. We have amended, uh, I think, about a month ago just to add some time to contribute to the EPIC uh, electronic health records bill. Uh, the plan is that uh, her and her team are going to be employed by Alameda Health Partners in about a year time. And she has also played an important role at the system level in terms of laboratory services. Uh, what has happened over the past year is that uh, our partnership with the Alliance extended uh, our uh, lab access or lab access for the Alliance. So we had some 30-40% increase in some of the lab services mm -hmm. and she has accommodated that with no extra cost. Questions? And just, so this is, this contract is, uh, if it wasn't clear, but I think it is, it's, it's a contract with AHP. And the AHP board has uh, approved the contract. It's just the dollar value that triggers uh, uh, a subsequent uh, requirement for approval by the mm -hmm. AHS board. Right. Right. I move approval. I second. Second. Get that. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Action carries. Thank you. Uh, C2, uh, the Siemens Medical Solutions contract. Fair enough. Um, a quick summary. This is a proposed um, amendment with Siemens under which we would do one of two things, actually. One, we would expand the current data storage that they already provide under contract for our core facilities. This is storage for digital medical imaging, um, which is done under a PAC system. If the question might arise, why would you need to have a separate arrangement to store data, which would go into a picture archive computer system, you had the same question I did in the app. The question's answer is the archival 
memorial system in PACs is a short-term memory. The ISA, which is what we're talking about here, is long-term and it's much larger. So this is essentially cloud storage, so we're off-sourcing it, outsourcing it, I should say. So we need to have an increase in memory capacity for internal core capacity because of growth. And secondly, and also importantly with regards to Epic, we are standardizing our PAC systems across the system. There was an approval for a separate Siemens arrangement to put in a new Siemens system for PACs at both community hospitals that will start at the beginning of Epic Go Live next year. And part of what we now need to do with this contract is to increase, or I should say expand the services for that ISA long-term memory storage also for the community hospitals. So we're doing a one-two punch. Now, importantly, in case the question would arise, we're not going to flip the switch on the expansion elements of the ISA that we're proposing here until the beginning of the data migration when we anticipate moving towards the go live for Epic. So the amount that's under hosting fees under the compensation total vendor spin, that 213.528, that is a worst case scenario based on us being charged hosting fees from the beginning of proposed approval November 1st. Realistically, that's not on target to begin until roughly March when data migration will begin and they need a lead time starting in March because there will be a time that they need to do what they call eloquently data ingestion in which they go and get all of the existing data currently, they standardize it, digitize it, and then it's ready. And then when we get ready for Epic Go Live, the switch is flipped, everything is ready and fingers crossed, everything goes smoothly. So the 213 is a very conservative high estimate. It will in all likelihood be somewhat lower. The monthly fee is $5,208. So you can reduce that by each month that they haven't started the data migration. Um, I would say right now that is, as a non-IT person, my best way of describing this. Are there any questions that I can try to address? Not for this one, Ira. Very clear. Thank you. At the end of the contract, the data, how, how is it migrated if, it, if you need to migrate it to a different cloud-based solution? I wish I was Ed and I could answer that. I wouldn't be able to know, but I would assume that much like they must have some kind of system in which they are ingesting it, they also have a mechanism for egestion, to use the non-biological term. Um, what I think would be happening there would be similar. If we have probably non-digital data at some of our community hospitals, because they may not have had a PAC system, those are being scanned and digitized right now. Once they're digitized, I would hazard a guess that there are probably one or two or a handful at the most of standard formats in which such data is stored across the industry. I would hope that if we ever wish to migrate from Siemens to someone else, we would put provision and said contracts so that they would have the technology to do some form of interface and translation. Yeah. That would yeah. be my best understanding. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm asking. Like, what sort of contract language protects us so that the data can migrate? Because this is long-term storage, right? Mm -hmm. That one I do not know off the top of my head. I can look into that, and I can send a report back through leadership to the board. But I can't answer that one right now. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. That was good for a non-IT, non-medical yeah. person. Yeah. Glad you <laughs> stayed away from biology. Quite impressive. Approval. Second. Got, uh, all those favor? Aye. Yep. Aye. Right. Look over Ron because I'll make sure she got it. I got it. All right. Thank you. Let's move on to uh, the premier parking contract approval. Uh, we have a couple comments. Do we 
you usually hear these first, right? I imagine, right? Yeah, the chair, it's, it's yeah, probably, probably your prerogative, but I think we tend to hear the first. Okay. And um, the first speaker is David Douglas. Can I go to the podium? Or? Please. Please. Thank you. That way you get your comments recorded. Hi, I'm David Douglas, Mayor of Douglas Barkley, the current contractor for this um, uh, contract. Um, this is Matt Bloom, who's my bodyguard, uh, and uh, <laughs> our uh, general manager. And in case you ask any tough questions, it's probably going to be above my pay grade, which is why I asked him to come up here with me. Um, I want to start by saying that we very much have enjoyed our relationship with AHS, um, and we take a lot of pride in our affiliation with you. Um, we wanted to provide the best good for the organization, but we feel that the way that the process was overseen by Vizio made this problematic. The difference in the numbers and the bids, which in the package, which you see, I said the fact that, geez, um, make it clear that there was some kind of disconnect here. And we think the problem was with the RFP process and that the bid process from, from Vizio was a little haphazard. I'm just going to read you the whole RFP. This is it. We're on a tight deadline. Anyway, this is from Visit. We're on a tight deadline. Would you be able to put together a good document? Just please include what separates your tier from the competition, details about Douglas, and of course the pricing. That was the entire RFP for $4 million contract. There was no written RFP. There was no walkthrough. We insisted on doing a walkthrough with the representative from Visit. We did come. We did a walkthrough with him. A bunch of us went through it. And we realized from that that he really had no concept of what this operation was. And we realized it was going to be very difficult for him to take others on a tour and explain this operation to other people. There should have been an RFP that showed staffing levels, that showed the schedule, that showed the bus routes, that showed the number of buses required and other requirements for the buses, including ADA. Um, should have been talking about backup buses and also who pays for the gas and repair of the buses. None of that was ever discussed. Also, the union contract that we're currently under and will be under should have been shared with the others, which we don't believe it was because nobody asked us for it. Part of what you see in the package was an item that the um, other bidder, Premier, is going to pay $317,000 of their money for the right equipment for the, for the hospital. If this was a major developer with, long -term, with a long-term lease, yeah, maybe they'd do it. But don't be fooled by that. Nobody's going to donate $317,000 of their equipment. And by the way, we saw the bid from the other, from the equipment vendor, and it was very, very inferior to what you actually need here on site. The normal procedure would have been that we go through the, um, the whole project with you, we decide what needs are there, what features you want in new equipment, what guys and listens you want, and then we together procure them. This was not done. Uh, just a couple of quick things. In the, in the package where it talks about key distinctions, there's these items that are listed here. All these items were in our proposal. In fact, one of these items that's listed as key distinctions, we really didn't do. We're not sure how it distincts them from us. Uh, one thing that should have been talked about is the number of employees in the area. Premier has one location in Davis, California. We've got 200 employees within two miles of this location. Yeah. Oftentimes, we bring backup. People deserve to have to stop them for this. I don't have my final. Well, your company can complete. You can take his three minutes because he turned in his card. card. Especially with that. Or he can yield. He can yield. Yeah. He can 
you can take a stand. Yes, okay, yeah. thank you. Thank you. So I think it's important to know that oftentimes you have to bring backup people on site here. We have people very close by. We also have buses close by. You don't want to bring a bus on campus here that isn't qualified to be on the campus. You don't want to have a driver driving a bus that doesn't have the right qualifications, the right class B license here. But my answer is just question the RFP. As the local incumbent vendor who has dedicated ourselves to this contract to the AHS, what we're asking for is the opportunity to adjust the bid based on the needs of AHS. It's possible that the other company's bid was different because they were told or not aware of the staffing levels, wages, or the different levels of service required by AHS. If so, we respectfully ask that as the local incumbent, we're able to provide the pricing for these exact same services. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if we sit down or questions. Do you have two speaker cards? No, the other one. Yield this time. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll talk to staff now, and and uh, if there are any questions, we'll ask you. Can we sit down. Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was my, my way of saying yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, Mr. thank you for that. Uh, I've, I've asked uh, Baljeet to, to, I'm sorry, did I? No, 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 uh, I've asked Baljeet to go ahead and provide uh, some, some additional details and context around the process and how we went uh, about looking at selecting uh, the, the appropriate support and, and vendor to carry out these activities across the system. And so we're, we're hoping to, um, I, I know that I, I've received some, some thoughts and feedback on this, and I want to make sure that we, we're, we're going to take an attempt here to uh, not only provide you the context and the, the process, but also help address some of those issues and, 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 uh, and provide clarity on, on some of the things that we have questions on. And, and then at that point, uh, certainly we'll open it up to, to each of you for any questions you may have, but we'd like to see if we can try and capture as many of those as possible and we'll provide some of the context and move forward from there. Good, thank you. All right, good afternoon, guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I'm going to just jump right into um, the engagement and evaluation process and then the analysis. And so what we're going to share now is a, a bit more granularity than you saw in your board mm -hmm. so summary as well as with the, this PowerPoint. So kind of to walk through it, so the engagement and evaluation process involved a facilitate process by Vizient. And so what that means is if we recall to about a year ago when we brought forth the Vizient agreement, there are many uh, aspects of that agree uh, about agreement. One of them was support with evaluation around purchase services. And what that specifically means is logistical support. So gathering up of, of relaying information, sending information, facilitating site visits. In terms of the scope development, the analysis, the final decision, all that continues uh, to remain with AHS. So in terms of when you're asking what does that mean facilitate process and what support are we talking about, it's part of um, the uh, evaluation and logistical support when it comes to how we are evaluating purchase services, not just in this particular piece for uh, parking, but other elements such as like the Morrison Agreement last month. So in that part, then we had developed the scope by support services. And so support services, uh, the team that covers uh, Alameda Hospital, which has the service provided there, as well as here at Highland Hospital. Now, involved in that scope development was a retroactive review by, of staff feedback, as well as looking at our press gaining scores. So you can pull up the comments by searching for particular aspects, such as parking, and it spits out all these scores and these comments. So looking at that qualitative data, as well as the, the ongoing staff feedback we really perpetually receive regarding parking, we developed an idea of here's what we want moving forward around three key criteria, cost, creativity, and uh, service. Creativity, if you ask, then what, what does that mean in terms of creativity of, a, of an RFP? 
Now, the goal of, of, of most RFPs, if not all RFPs, are to, it's an opportunity to look at uh, the, the current climate. You are putting out a, a request and ask that allows you to advance the operation as well as see what's out there. And so more importantly, what's the current industry practice? Here's the need that we have of service. What exactly can these companies do in, in terms of the service that's being provided? So that's when we're talking creativity. It's, for example, um, not included in this, of course, but someone might come in and say, well, we can provide free car washes to everyone. So that's kind of the creativity piece of what's coming up in terms of uh, our scope development. Next up then, we have the invitation to the vendors. So five local and national vendors were invited. Uh, one thing that I was remiss in including in here is there was one entity that uh, we'd reached out to, and I, it wouldn't count them as being invited per se. It was an entity that's based in San Francisco uh, called California Parking, had reached out, and I, I personally called and indicated, hey, we have a request for a bid process going on. Would, do you come across the bridge and provide uh, input? The individual I spoke with had indicated that they have a infrastructure in San Francisco. The majority of their accounts, but all their accounts are based in San Francisco, around that seven by seven square mile um, um, footprint. Meaning they have garages in small part of town. No matter what account they have, they can leverage that garage in a way. So on that, based on that conversation, um, it wasn't uh, a formal invitation in terms of here's the email with the, with the content and the data to respond was not extended, but that was another local vendor. But that excluded, there's five. Of the five, um, two vendors that are not, uh, uh, not based in California indicated they would be stepping out of the process. That left us with these three. LAZ Parking, we ruled out with non-competitive pricing. They're not based in, they have, while they have a regional office um, in the area, they're also based uh, not, not locally. Douglas Parking are incumbent and Premier Parking. And so with that, then we thought, okay, now we have to do the, the, the evaluation process and then the review. So within that, we received initial proposals based on uh, the scope we shared, including data around schedules, data that our incumbent was actually gracious enough to share in terms of current, uh, current schedules, current uh, volumes, which you then relayed back to all the responding um, individuals. At that juncture, uh, when we looked at the initial responses, it came out that uh, Premier was offering about $150,000 in savings compared to uh, the Douglas proposal. At that point, we thought about then our, our, our current stance and our philosophical values and our approach of what about the anchor institution? What about local mission? Uh, and then also taking out the long-standing partnership with the incumbent as well as, you know, the teething that could occur with the transition period. At that point, we felt that the $150,000 of savings uh, to go with another vendor would not be an amount worth that transition. We then talked to Douglas and, uh, and, and said, hey, uh, we would like to advance you in the process, uh, provided there were some key questions answered and clarified. So this is all happening in the course of a couple days. Receive responses, receive the clarifications of, uh, you know, here's, here's the amounts, and we had a conversation with them. In that review, we were happy to say we'd like to advance you in the process, pending clarification of a few questions, including lump sum amounts, what was broken up, including the, the percentage of employees that are staffed locally. Uh, I believe that uh, um, 30 of 32, or about a 94% uh, of local Alameda County employees based here. And also pending that uh, the, they will be receiving key clarifying questions after a detailed review was had of the entire document. Once that review occurred, uh, we realized that in the, uh, in the recommendation, the proposal from Douglas, the phrasing of the proposal were along the lines of, um, Douglas will oversee the hospital's equipment replacement at zero cost, or uh, Douglas will 
recommends the following operational additions to enhance the operations and the Parker Rider experience and laying things down. Now on a quick review, that could look like great. This is all part of the package. But in reading it further, we just felt that there's a little bit of ambiguity in terms of Douglas will oversee the hospital's equipment replacement at zero cost or provide the hospital's equipment at zero cost. We felt that at that juncture it was important to clarify prior to coming to this group or coming to the board. And the idea was getting these clarifying questions in preparation for such a discussion. We assumed that questions posed by this body would be, hey, why did you pass up $150,000 given our fiduciary responsibility? Upon the clarifying conversation, we realized that uh, the, uh, we, we, the pointed questions that were phrased, about a little under 20 questions, please comment at no cost or at cost to AHS. And then we realized that the interpretation was incorrect on our part and that we were, we were definitely not on the same page. The, the team, the representatives from Douglas indicated that's actually not at no cost. This is actually going to be a cost to AHS and, and, and here's why. We felt that at that point it was important for us to actually pose standard, structured, more formal questions, pointing out specific elements of the proposal to make sure we're on the same page. So we could put together a very detailed package in terms of what the cost would be and what the size of this contract would be before it came forward for approval. Can I jump in here? Yeah. So when you wanted to, when you put together those more detailed questions, was that to both of the, the, the top? Excellent point. So then we resent the question. So in line with the integrity of an RFP process, we realize that the ambiguity here, and we're giving an opportunity to one vendor, to one submitter, to clarify and rehash their proposal. It would have been unfair for us to then not give that same opportunity to ensure there wasn't an equal misinterpretation um, from, from both sides. So we did submit those questions back to both vendors. Now, so for example, if I could, so with the yeah. equipment, like in particular, because that seems to be the capital upgrade, that seems mm -hmm. to be a really critical component here. Mm -hmm. are, 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 we, are we comparing apples to apples in terms of what, what is in each proposal as far as what equipment is being replaced or, 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 or yeah, I mean, that, that's short answer. the kiosk the upgrade, the GPS, sure. all that. Short answer, yes. Okay. Kiosk upgrades, um, uh, ticket-taking arms, uh, ticket-taking machines, all that. So we, we believe, yes, that's the short answer. The, it's kind Does of that include the buses? Correct, yeah, yeah. And so it includes shell operating costs to ensure, and I'll get to, and, and I apologize for this long kind of story, but I think it's important to kind of lay out the process, and so I'll get to the, the bus piece as well. So when we um, did resend questions, specifically calling out the capital improvements and clearly defining what we were looking for in terms of is occupancy technology included at cost or no cost? Is valley technology included at cost or no cost? Is GPS technology included at cost or no cost? It kind of went through a very specific ask. Um, we then saw the resubmissions come in, and then we saw that the gap widened, widened in terms of the savings. That then reminded and reinforced us in terms of our you know, fiduciary responsibility to the process and ensuring that we really had, these, had, had our ducks in a row. As an added element to make sure that we were doing like for like, we then had another call with each vendor and went through line by line by line item in terms of show operating costs. In the lump sum cost, where is this embedded? And we had some clarifying answers from both parties to help us clear up our math and make sure it was like for like. Finally, after that, those conversations with, with both parties, we then uh, accounted for things like show operating costs. We accounted for management fees, uh, benefit packages, union engagement, interaction. We did clear. Uh, we were clear with all responding parties. Sorry, 
Say that again. So you, you went over benefit packages and union engagement? Is well, that we did at, we, that was part of the, the conversation because one of the, for example, um, Douglas indicated that their fee structure included uh, the annual wage increases for the union. So in our conversation with our, uh, our uh, for the Premier, with Premier thank you, uh, we are just saying, okay, how would, you account, how would you account for that? Where is that account for in this process, in the piece? So very careful not to give a, not to lead with a guiding question that has the answer embedded in the question, uh, but actually saying, well, where is this? Show us where this is. So we did that with the shuttle operating costs. We did that with, you know, um, where's fuel? Where can you clarify what the management fee looks like? We clarified um, size of shuttles, making sure that there's, it's a like-for-like -like comparison, um, making sure there's no hidden fees or costs there. Um, confirming that are you aware and clear that it's the Teamsters Union 853 that is part of uh, the group that is employed at the site. So after all that being said and done, we then have the math and the final numbers to compare. And that's what then brings us to, to this analysis. This analysis has a glaring error in it, and that is the capital investment upgrade. So while the intent, when it was originally placed, and, and I apologize that, that it came across this way, the intent was to highlight for the same elements, what the value was that both companies were bringing. Premier had offered and is offering for $317,000 the capital investment upgrades for kiosk upgrades, GPS, Valley Tech. Douglas was also offering this, the same items, but the key there was these items, and this is why it was double counted in the error, that cost of $134,760 is already embedded in the year one, year two, year three lump sum costs. So and so that so then this is an error because then it looks like wait now we're, according to the math wait now we're paying for that so the, the slide should not show that. Instead, what that means is then the cost for that technology is then because it's embedded in the lump sum is spread across the three years, which also means it's subject to the three percent escalator for each year on, on the hardware. So we do that if we want to do then the true value for across three years, we'd be paying about $417,000 for similar equipment that, according to the premier proposal, is being valued at three seventeen at no cost to HS. So with that correction and that clarification, the true total savings would be though about $116,000 from Douglas based on our current, our current spend compared to what is being uh, uh, proposed of $714,000 from premier. Now, again, apologies for that capital investment element there, but if we would then you know, ignore that, then we talk about the visit administrative rebate. And so the question then could become, where does it, what does that mean, where does that come from, and what is that dollar value? Again, recollecting back to, I know it was a long time ago, about a year, if you recall, part of the visit engagement as that group purchasing organization, for every dollar we spend through that account and that contract, uh, the, the vendor, or the vendor that is affiliated uh, with Vizient, is responsible for then sharing um, about 3% of, of that spend back to Vizient. Of that 3%, 68% comes right back to the, the, the member, which would be us. So in taking that, uh, uh, the amount of the total spend over the years, we said, okay, if, if that total spend, about $3.8 million, if they were to pay back 3% of that back to Vizient, and of that 3%, 68% comes back to us, that just represents the value then of what AHS would also see. And the key is why we put it not part of the, of the um, original year one, year two, year three savings. It is part of the value of the contract, but it was not a driving force in terms of the like-for-like -like comparison of what we're we'll paying as a lump sum. 
I've been talking quite a bit, so I'll, I will take a breath here and stop, and we'll love to field if there are any additional questions or anything I've talked about that may have been a bit ambiguous. Well, one thing I have is like, what is a GPO? And, and, I mean, like, so, and, and more to the point, yeah. So it's a it's a prefer it's it's a it's a it's a it's a company that Vizient's doing business with, right? Vizient is the group purchasing organization. Okay. So, but how is Premier somehow part of their umbrella, if you will, whereas our local vendor is not? And sure. are we going to see that as a pattern by working with Vizient that we're going to? I mean, this is a good question. Sure, that's, that's, that's my concern. Is are we are we basically corporating all of this out so that we don't have local vendors because they're not part of the Vizient umbrella? Well, that's that, that is a great question, uh, and it also aligns with the comments that were made when we originally went through this agreement. And, and thankfully, next month we will be seeing a presentation with a partnership for our VP of Contracting as well around what what this engagement looks like and what we're doing with with local vendors or in context in relation to GPL. But Trustee DeVries, so in response to your question, so the 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 GPO, Vizient, then has a plethora of portfolios. It could be a portfolio on ultrasound machines. It could be an old portfolio on parking services. It could be a portfolio on um, uh, uh, roofers. It could be so just a plethora of says purchase services and commodities. And so what happens is for every three to five years, they will go out to bid and say, we are now going to establish a portfolio of vendors that go through a competitive bid process for our members. And so the idea then is, in terms of the economies of scale, we have membership numbering, you know, a thousand hospitals across the country who are members of our, our GPO. What can you do for them? And so the idea is, instead of AHS going out on our own to independently negotiate with an entity, we are now leveraging the volume of the 1,000 hospitals and saying, well, they would give the, the, mem the, the member that responds, so that, let's say it's, um, you know, you know Luis Fonseca's roofing crew. He'll respond and say, well, I would normally give it to, which I'm sure it would be a great roofing crew, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I saw the comment. Um, the, the, instead of saying, well, we're going to give it to you for $100 as a separate standalone AHS partnership, because you're partnered with Vizient, you now get that same service for ninety dollars. Yeah. yeah, and it, it, you know, I've had a, I had a conversation with Lewis yeah. about this just this afternoon. And even the two that kind of um, town park and health park yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of them were out of state, other than Douglas. Correct. So that's the that's the downside yeah. of having this kind of the you know the the upside for us is that look at the significant savings, but the downside of it is exactly that like we keep getting vendors who are not I mean having one regional office in Davis or Sacramento is but we are still it's based in out of state. So the other one was Illinois and the other one was somewhere else. So so all the choices that we had other than Douglas were Correct. not out of the And so then the, I mean just to be very frank and candid, so the question then is how are the mom and pops not getting edged out by these larger by these larger entities, right? right? And that's the key. And I think the the comment made about a year ago was is this also pay to play? Right? How, how does yeah. that? How, right. how, and so, and I just want to be very clear because I think we're very transparent and clear, kind of what what's what the challenge ahead of us. So, on that notion, and and we'll, we'll definitely see more of it in next month's presentation. Uh, thankfully, we are not the only institution facing this across the country. Every member of the GPO is being faced with the same piece. How does the mom and pop thrive when we're competing against the GEs of the world? And so, 
thankfully, Lucene has established and has uh, a director of diversity and a director of, of um, issues where they we onboard and, and uh, provide with the exit strategy of whoever may or may not have received that, how they get plugged into the Vizient machine. Now, in our, in our process here, ideally the process would be, and as we would like to move forward and continue to evolve this over each sequential month and contract, it would be, here's a vendor that did not get this bid. However, this is a vendor that is a strong partner and has been a strong partner, and this is by no, no means an indictment on current services. It's just looking at kind of what, what some of the savings are. Then that would say, well, here's the bid cycle. And connecting them with Vizient, Vizient would say, well, the next cycle up for this portfolio is this date, these times, and we will include you in that next cycle. So perhaps two years from now, we would have, as part of a Vizient uh, portfolio, Premier and a Douglas and a Town Park and a Health Park. And then that would just be a decision. That, that is done uh, a relationship between the vendor and the GPO. AHS would not be involved beyond establishing that connection and saying, we need this. This is a local vendor who is an important partner who we would like to have access and be competitive for a contract in, say, New Jersey, if they ever so chose. Yeah, I just want to point out, I mean, my, another question I have about this process, um, and Balji, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think you are trying to be as thorough as you can, but if what our incumbent local Oakland-based vendor is telling us is true, they got an email basically saying, hey, put together a bid. And then if they put together, and so I don't know what Vizient does with that. Do they, do they then go to their GPO, to their members and say, here's what you're competing against? Man, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it works. But, it, but it, does, it doesn't sound like it was a formal RFP process that a normal vendor would go through. It, it does sound like it was a little, that it started out a little... Well, I, I would, I would, and I'm not respectful of it. Oh no, of course not. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but uh, I, you know, I also have the documentation and the clarification of all the emails that were sent to all the vendors. And uh, while the the email that was described above is indeed one of the emails that I have that were exchanged, there are also emails with representatives of Douglas that indicate here's the categories that are going to be evaluated: service, creativity, cost. Here's the attached documentation of, of data, which is then which was actually thankfully provided by them. Well, that's the other point I was going to make is they're they're, they're providing you the data by which you that I mean based on what they provide by which to then evaluate all the proposals. It's, there's a kind of an inherent. Uh, well, the, the, the data that was presented was 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 statistical data as far as trying to give all all proposers uh, or all vendors that are submitting a proposal an understanding of you know, what, what's happening within, you know, this facility, Alameda Hospital. So it's just the statistical data of just understanding, you know, how many cars do you see, how many cars do you park, you know, all that, that, that type of information. So it's, yeah. it, it, wasn't anything, it wasn't anything that would have a direct influence but on it. But in essence, help, help build the bid. Yeah. Or the RFP. I mean, it's data that you would have to provide anyway to, to create a, 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 or to allow for someone to bid, right? You have to give them some framework or context of the operations in order to right. then scope and scale. I don't know that I would see that. I mean, I'm respecting your, your no, I understand. Answer, but I know. You, you, you know my local bias. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't help it. I just, it, for us, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's acceptable. Or I used to say uh, it's a line, I would say. Uh, so, and it's not an us and you, obviously. Uh, right. It's a line. Uh, we, what, what I would say as a broader context here is, this is ultimately your call, and we respect that. We are bringing you a, a, a set of information from which to make a, a decision about what is, what, what's heads or tails in terms of your priorities. We would say, 
uh, we would love for there to be a situation, or for most of these situations, all of them, to be where we can both achieve our uh, values, and local vendor uh, relationships is, is one of them, and manage the organization in the fiscally sustainable way. Right. It is times, it is at the times when that seems to be in conflict that we have to make a decision about, right. you know, right. which one prevails. And, and right. you know, fortunately that's your call and not ours. We're, ours is to bring you the information right. on which section to get So if I could, no, I'm sorry, I'm sure you asked some questions. Yeah. So if I take out the bottom of the chart up there, it's basically 4492 versus 3894. Say that again? The, 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 the total Correct. is 4492 oh, yes. versus 3894, which is actually a $598,000 difference, not, not the $1.1 1 .1 right? And over a three-year period. And, over, and the, if you were to actually add the contingency, which is how much? Where's the contingency? Somebody help me out here. Come on. The contingency is under So. So even that 598 isn't really accurate because if I was to subtract the contingency that you're building in for Premier, um, just I mean, I'm just doing uh, Joe math. Just yeah, I, I, the, yeah, the contingency is something we would do. You would build it in. You would build it in. Right. So right. it wouldn't be something okay. I, would, I would subtract from the difference here. Right. So, okay. And for the math there, I think we literally we have been literally done in by the fine print. Uh, the asterisk there, and right at the bottom, the savings calculated based on the current historical agreement and run rate. So looking at our current agreement. Um, both entities would provide savings. This is, uh, Douglas also then came down on, on right. angles. And your equipment, the capital costs, you, you calculated in a 3% per year increase in that cost to, to get to that, that difference in the, in, the, um, in the capital expenditure. So uh, I think I might hear, say, I think I might, might know the question say it one more time. When you, were when you were describing the error in putting up that 134,760, you said that Douglas built the, the capital investment into their yearly bids. Mm -hmm. So you, um, and, but Premier did as well, right? No, no they did not. So and that's why we called out on a separate line to just say in, for the capital investment, the additional value outside of the year one, year two, year three lump cost is $317,000. And there's the administrative rebate, which shows. So that's why, you know, I apologize for the for the nomenclature. I think that's in the future we can try to be clear. But that's why we're saying a total value versus then the total savings as money. Or, or, or total cost, because really the cost is the cost, and that's the the four four nine two versus three eight nine four. Correct. And you're getting the equipment from either either. Correct. But the three hundred seventeen we're not paying, and the four four nine four we would pay. So that's. Yeah. Sorry. If, if the, <laughs> I can okay. we walk through is that, it. Is, that, is, is that, it still unclear? That part is unclear. It is. It's just because the 300, so, so Premier is going to offer you three, uh, a contract at 3.94 over three years, and it's going to include all of these capital upgrades. At no cost. At no cost. So their cost, yeah, their contract did not roll that portion of it into their rates. They said, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to you. We'll just put it in your 3.9. That's what they're purporting, right? And that's what we're basing this on. Just maybe. But the 4.492 also includes the capital investments that. So the thing is, just take the one that we off. If I may say, so so technically, both. Douglas and Premier in the 4492 and 3894 include the capital investment. Right, exactly. It's included okay. in both. Right. Okay. It's included in both. 
We're, we're calling it out separately because they're saying this is what we're doing as value add, but it, 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 at the end of the day, because we're not paying for it, per se, you know, separately, it's included in the price. It's in value, but it's included in the price. If I can just yeah, clarify just a moment yeah, there. Just, um, so if you recall, then we had the latter part of the evaluation stage was jumping on the phone and saying, let's go line item by line item. So that year one, year two, year three cost is based on a lump sum monthly amount. Uh, the lump sum monthly amount for Douglas is about 121127 maybe, I, I recall. The monthly amount for Premier was about 105000 So then the question was, what is making up this 105 k and this 127 k And that's when we went through the line items. And what made up the 127 k for the Douglas monthly amount was the capital. Here's line item for this amount for capital investment add into that amount. Here's the amount for the kiosk tech, GPS, valet tech. And that was where the clarification was, just tell me where this is embedded. So all that amount then divide, you know, taking this, this annual amount divided by 12, we, we, we engineered the math and then unengineered it and we saw, okay, the numbers do add up to 121 and 127. For the premier numbers, we asked, okay, here's a 105K, show me how this is equated to. In the numbers that added into the 105K, the capital investment was not included. There, there is no line item that we go back to if we were to deconstruct the 105,000 per month that we're going to see a line item for kiosk upgrade, GPS, or Valley Tech. Which is why then we'll... Are we I just find it hard to believe they're going to give us $317,000 worth of equipment on a $4 million contract. But, yeah. That will go in the contract. Yeah. So, yeah, the so difference is about $190,000 a year is what the difference would be if, if we looked, looked at the cost to cost. Minus I, the capital. But no, because the capital is included are in you, the cost. Are you saying between the 1.4 and 1.2 that it's 100 and... No, between the 4.4 mm -hmm. and the 3.8. Yeah, be, between that. So that's the total, right? Okay, yeah. Okay, okay so uh, right now, uh, what, what is, I mean, in terms of performance, this is an incumbent. How do you think of how Douglas has performed as an incumbent? Like, are there issues that you have with the incumbent, or in terms of their service, are we happy with that? They've been, they've been great. I think that, the, again, as I said earlier, this is not, in many ways, a commentary or indictment on their service. The team that's been placed here, uh, the attendants that are here, have been great. Yeah. And that's, this, that was a concern that we raised as well internally, with, if someone were to come in, how do we either retain this workforce, have an opportunity to retain them, and, and continue with that level? Because I think that's, that's that was also a key part for us when we talk about uh, Anchor Network. It's not just about the contract and where the headquarters are. The folks that are working this contract, where are these folks going to go? What are they going to do? And how are we going to locally source it for the backups and other things? And what's the learning curve for a new company that comes in and does that? Because it's not just like they're out of town. Right. They, they are, but there's a, there's, there's, you don't just slide smoothly into any, anything. And which is why, you know, in the original in, you know, iteration where we said, oh, there's about $150,000 of savings that Premier are bringing, we thought that the teething and the, that point you bring up was not, wouldn't have been worth wouldn't have been worth the transition for the very conversation that we're having. We, I, we would have been having this conversation anyway, but it likely would have been, hey, why'd you pass up 150K? It might have been a smaller conversation, but I know you guys would have caught it. But I think that's a key point. And then it's just when you've got the focused questions around at cost, no cost, value to AHS, when the gap widened is when then 
the, the reinforcement of them, the responsibility of, of us presenting in this group and this group's role in the organization uh, kind of became re-emphasized a bit more. Can I just say that I'm, I don't think I'm totally comfortable with the process that I've heard. And it, as this becomes more and more of an issue with our GPL, as they're able to, to bring us more savings, and I see the savings here, right? But we also, as a board, have always felt that we need to support uh, those in our community and those businesses in our community. And so I, before I feel comfortable about making a decision, I'd like to hear more about how this process actually works with Vizian in supporting those local businesses. So can we, can we understand your point? Fair point, I, I agree. Uh, I, I was gonna ask, and last of all, you have uh, more to say in response, so I was gonna ask Mike to uh, maybe lay out some potential options for you as a committee to consider with respect to how to proceed. So you're getting to the point of thinking about what you yeah. want to do. Okay. So, you know, I mean, the protocol is that the finance committee is reviewing this in for the purpose of making a recommendation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's on. I just yeah, it's good. Yeah. I just need to make it. Like <laughs> How does this sound? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like your DJ. So you know, <laughs> you know the committee the committee is making a recommendation to the board. The committee is not deciding if the contract is being awarded to Premier based upon the decision made here. So um, I just think it's important to keep that in mind because even if you were to decide one way or the other, it could still go to the board, the board could still make a decision. It does appear, though, that there are you know, issues that have been raised, um, and it would certainly be appropriate for you to take a couple of different actions that you might. You could defer making a decision, you know, pending additional information to satisfy those concerns, and the matter could come back to this committee, or it could go directly to the board with those issues being resolved, or those questions being addressed in the presentation of the board, so that when it's presented to the full board, those questions that have been raised in this committee could be answered, and then um, a decision could be made by the board. And it would be, you know, go to the board without a recommendation, you know, from this committee. So, um, and essentially what that you know, permits is the opportunity to ensure that um, those things which are uh, actually um, uh, fixable issues, if you will, you know, for example, incomplete information, you know, information that needs to be better clarified, that those things can happen. Um, and then that way, you know, it may be the same recommendation that's being made by staff, you know, to the board, and the board can make the decision at that point, uh, or it may, you know, result in some change, you know, based upon that additional information as well, too. So, you know, I think it's important, you know, that if, if you're not comfortable, you know, I think, you know, again, you can say we'd like staff to do some additional work here, and this can be presented to the full board, or you can say, we'd like staff to do additional work, but we'd like you to bring it back here before it goes to the full board. I don't know the, the other pieces here in terms of timing. Well, that's what I was, I was I can add. Yeah. Uh, and, and Luis and Buzz, you correct me if I'm missing anything. Uh, we, just for recollection, we extended the uh, current vendor contract to terminate at the end of November. Uh, um, while we took the additional time to do the work that we brought before you today. Uh, so from a timing perspective, understanding that uh, the request here is for uh, uh, the permission to or, or the uh, uh, support to negotiate a contract, there are some things that would have to happen even after the board approval to, one, put this in place, two, if it were, it transitioned then to allow for that to occur so that uh, if you were to take an action today that was um, 
to either uh, table this and bring it back to this committee uh, and or um, hold on making a recommendation but to take it to the full board so that uh, there was some time to act on this if that was uh, uh, the recommendation or if that the recommendation were to uh, uh, be amended uh, uh, at that point that we just have to be mindful of that because that might then trigger, uh, irrespective of the ultimate direction, a need to extend the existing contract so that uh, that work, if you uh, so uh, um, uh, divine, needs to be either, you know, further clarified as to what has happened already or uh, revisited entirely. So it's just a point for you to consider. Okay, so why don't we, um, why don't we receive comments from trustees and then uh, Move to a, a motion if we can find one. Do you want to start, Mr. Charlotte? I, I, you know, I think I, uh, I've expressed my opinion. So, you know, if you want to move to a motion after you've heard comments, I'd be happy to. Okay. Thank you, Trustee Dries. I just, I just wonder if there's more work that can be done. I know that our our incumbent local vendor asked if there was a way that they could, you know work on this some more. Obviously, in all fairness, you'd have to offer the same to Premier. But I wonder if uh, huh? to, 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 to everyone, yeah. Yes. Well, but understanding that the others were either so a point to consider uh, uh, for that purpose is uh, uh, we do we do because we're in a situation where at least right now we're down to two vendors. Uh, there is a there's a bit of a risk from the organization's perspective and uh, your board's uh, perspective in uh, um, whether any further activity might then disincentivize either or, or both vendors from participating given the transparency of information that has been uh, presented at this point. Not necessarily a, a deal breaker, but something you should consider uh, because ultimately, again, we're trying to strike a balance between advancing our mission and uh, addressing some of what you heard uh, us quite ably from our CFO as opportunities that we still have to manage our costs. Uh, and so if this one doesn't become that because we want to expose other values, so be it. If it uh, aligns in such a way that it, it can do both even better. I just don't know that we should think that there's a guarantee that that would occur given the fact that we're down at uh, two vendors two after a, a, out, a broader outreach. Yeah, so... Um, Anything else to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot about um, Paragon physicians or per Premier or, no, or Siemens Medical Center. Oh, sorry. So I, I, we really have to trust staff, like, and we do, and we think you do a phenomenal job. But when it comes to parking, <laughs> it just feels a little bit more simple. And when we, I don't think I know anyone in this room who lives in Oakland or Alameda County that hasn't parked in the Douglas Parking parking lot, and just like it's a, it's a household name in Oakland. And, like, and so it feels really like we should. Uh, if there's a way to go back to the to the, to, to Douglas and Premier and see if there's ways that they can provide a, a, a better a different bid and get it closer to give us an easier decision to make, um, that would be great. And and if, if it undermines our credibility and you think it's going to cause vendors to not bid on projects here in the future, I don't know. Um, that's calculated risk I might be willing to take because I think people want, you know. I'm not, I'm not sure if... I hear you. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd just be a little bit more uh, nuanced in the sense that we're, we're not dividing the process to have an outcome that we we, we, we well, want. That would be unfair to you. Right, and that's why you have to offer the Premier the same ability to, to retort their mm -hmm. proposal as well. Right. But, yeah. 
sure. Or, or yeah. clarify. I mean, I, I, I think we've heard that, I, and I'm not saying that we've tried to obtain additional or new information, but maybe clarifications, right, to both to say we're not sure that, that this was entirely clear. So you wouldn't be asking for any additional or new information. You'd just be asking for these vendors to clarify their answers with this understanding. Because that's what I think I've heard today, which is, you know, we we didn't necessarily understand or didn't get the same information in order to respond. Okay. Trustee Manager. I, you know, I so agree with how much attention and intention you've put into this, and I know that if this wasn't where we were fiscally, this wouldn't have been an issue mm -hmm. either. It's just the hard spot of the trade-off that we are doing. I do feel that I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with the process of whether Visient, uh, you know, treats their designated vendors in a certain way and those that are out of their network in a way. So I, I, I'm not sure if that was how that was, you know, in terms of like these are our, the ones in our group purchasing and what level. So I heard what I heard and I feel like I don't want to be, I, I can that be a setup where if we, uh, and I'm going into the specifics, where we don't have to have anything of extension, but within the scope of like when this contract gets over, we can have more detail even by the by the time of the full board meeting in October. Well, we'll, in October. So we'll, we'll certainly work on that. I, I just want so to point about uh, the, the skepticism about how Vizient might be treating people in or out. First of all, I think I just wanted to say that uh, my understanding, and uh, um, I've, I've uh, pressure tested this with uh, uh, Baljeet, is that Vizient uh, uh, in this process was not uh, driving the RFP process, they were uh, uh, supporting or staffing the process. That it was really driven by us, but Vizient uh, providing the, the, the legwork to actually secure information in which to provide to the folks here to make a decision. Uh, and to the point about the skepticism around um, uh, whether they treat folks in or out differently, what I say is one data point is the fact that one of their contracted vendors was way out of the ballpark. So. So if there was some concern about whether they were saying something like, well, here's what you have, make it, make it as uh, uh, competitive as possible so that then it endures to you and to us by extension, I think that would undermine the notion that uh, um, uh, this, this other vendor would not have had a better competitive position if they were so interested. So, so I don't know. And then I would also say, I think that just as a GPO, this is their, the, the GPO stuff is their bread and butter. I would be willing to give them the benefit of doubt from an integrity standpoint, but they know that that type of process would not uh, be well served for them as, as far as any vendor participating, whether they're, you know, whatever state they're in, trying to participate in this business. So. I mean, it, all, I think I should reframe that differently, is that they don't go out of their way in that sense to get local vendors. Like, they have their, sure. their choice vendors and almost all of them are out of state. And, and I think that's the point we're trying to make, not that we're questioning the integrity, but that we want to be sure that the process is one that encourages our local vendors to not only participate, but, but to receive the kind of, I'm not going to say preference, but I mean that, that they're given the opportunity to be a full participant in the process. Sure. Yeah. I, I did. I mean, I just, um, it was an issue that, was mentioned uh, by our um, uh, presenter 
I'm also curious about the labor contract, about the benefit package that the Premier is offering. Um, I mean, it, I, I don't want to sound, you know, it, it's a company out of Tennessee. I think it's a right-to-work state. We tend to be a union state. Uh, I'm just wondering what kind of benefits these new local employees will, will receive. I mean, are, I mean, it got to sound crass, but are they going to end up having to come here for health for healthcare because they don't have health insurance, as opposed to a, a, a real package of benefits? And, and I'm not saying that we, it's our responsibility to provide, you know, that every contractor we have has the kind of benefit package that people working here have, but I think the current contractor does. And so I'm, I'm wondering if there was a comparison of the benefit package. Mm -hmm. And we can, and I can, you know, I can rattle off now, but I can definitely have here the, the dental medical coverage, the bonus structure they have, the how their employees are incentivized. Um, how their manager incentivized with the key performance indicator. So we, Thomas the ER, we have the information. Actually, I can tell you specifically. So the labor cost from the premier contract was about nine hundred eighty thousand uh, dollars. Nine hundred eighty thousand. Yeah, nine eight zero thousand. In the uh, Douglas uh, number was slightly less than that. So a comparable number of FTEs. So, and I don't know how that's broken out in terms of salaries versus benefits, but in terms of the bottom line number, they seem to be largely equivalent for a comparable number of FTEs. And if you also want to sort of, if, if you're asking, hey, can, what's the difference? What, where is the savings coming from? Like, you know, the, the manager fee, for example, at, uh, at Douglas is listed at about 90K. Uh, the management fee at Premier is said about 48k. So that, that that's one area. <coughs> Show operating costs was another big aspect um, uh, in terms of there's about uh, 200 and um, I want to say 16 about 260,000 in terms of show operating costs that were aligned with Douglas proposal. Adding up the fuel lease maintenance all the stuff from Premier came out to be about 120 thousand dollars less expensive. So if we were to say like hey. What's driving this? Yeah. Show what's the difference. So that's, those are two larger areas in terms of management fee, which is then not on the backs of the employee, which I think was a big important thing for us internally as well. Are you sure you're not going to pay these guys less? And that was absolutely a non-starter for us, uh, and will continue to be. But at the same time, like what's going on? So that's just like, to give you kind of some estimates. That. That's, that's, that's actually really helpful. I, 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 maybe I should have just led with that, like half an hour ago. Uh, so. I just remembered to ask. So. No, but these are great questions, and it's uh, it's very help, um, very helpful for me. Okay, so I'm going to take the chair's prerogative to remind uh, the committee that um, we are the finance committee, and um, we need to uh, play a significant role in providing advice to the full board regarding these contract matters that considers the fiduciary responsibility that the board of trustees hold. Um, so that's important. I also would note that um, it seems to me part of the challenge here is that we made a decision a while back um, to uh, realize cost savings by going into this contract with Visium. It comes with um, some devils in the details, um, some consequences that um, drive us to cost savings and uh, therefore a conflict with, potential conflict, with a local uh, vendor value that we have. So uh, we've made a decision though to head down this road. It's, um, I think, quite frankly, 
um, important that we stay true to that commitment that we made previously or undo it um, rather quickly, uh, which I don't support. Uh, but I think we need to stay with uh, our decision to go with a cost savings approach. I would add that um, my concerns, I, I share the concerns of other trustees around process. I hear, um, I heard from uh, Douglas, and I hear in the presentation uh, sort of an incomplete RFP process. As someone in, who wears the hat of uh, CEO of a nonprofit, large nonprofit that competes for RFPs all the time, I have been through the experience many times of not understanding what uh, is being asked of me in an RFP process. And so I think um, what I would like to see is us move ahead with a proposal to the board and to continue to evaluate whether we did this process uh, in the way that gets at our shared values around local vendors and cost savings, um, but doesn't stop this current um, moment where we we have the numbers speak. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the, the numbers are uh, in black. You know, it's uh, a cheaper contract, and I'd like to suggest I'm going to want to see uh, us move this forward to the board, at least from a finance, finance committee perspective, uh, a recommendation that, that, that realizes, a, respects the cost savings while recommending that we review the process around RFPs. Uh, let me just say that while I appreciate that and, um, and, and do believe in everything you said, I still I share your concern over process here. And so from my perspective, I'd rather get more information from the staff before I would vote yes on a recommendation to advance this to the full board. So I mean, if you would entertain a motion, I would say that we just defer the decision on the recommendation until this committee has had an opportunity to hear the process issues to make sure that we're comfortable that the process was followed in this case and that on a going forward basis that process will be followed. That sounds like a motion. Is there a second? Discussion? Yes, yeah. Steph. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I am trying to not insert myself in this process. I completely respect it and appreciate it. Uh, I, I would just ask for clarification because uh, what I believe I heard you say was was uh, to uh, hold out a recommendation until this committee uh, hears more about the, the process, which to me would suggest that we're not we're not moving it forward to the board meeting in October. We're actually bringing it back to this committee in November. Is that, am I hearing you correctly? That's correct. Okay. And, and if that is your recommendation, which would then lead to uh, it not being, um, uh, um, potentially not being taken to the board till the end of November when the current contract ends, then I think we would need to, we, we, we hold out the potential that we would be bringing to you or to bypass the committee and go straight to the board a, uh, a, potential, a potential need to extend the current contract subject to the current vendor agreeing to that okay. uh, yeah. to give us the time to Can you just include that in the motion right now just to give you a well, 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 okay. request? Yeah. You have to bring that to your this, but, but, you have, <laughs> but you could bring that to the full board. Yes, yeah, so as I said, we could. Yeah, so, so I, I would, I would, I mean, I was just seeking clarification. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. 
Yeah, that's fine. So the trustees acknowledge that construction. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's Thank not you. costing us anything really it's subject to the code vendor agreeing to what and what uh, what conditions that that uh, that comes with. So well, hopefully, the so we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, further questions, Thank you. comments? Yeah, just that we not just hear more, but maybe see more. <laughs> yeah. well, I think that's yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how I understood. That's how I understood. Yeah, I want to really look at yeah. yeah. a little bit. So, can we clarify what you would like to see that you have it? What that you have a similar? I'd like to see detail of the process. And if we need clarification, then you know you would clarify how that process was done. Because actually, all I've heard is about this letter. I've heard that you did an RFP. I'd like to kind of see more detail behind that. Okay. Does that seem doable? I just wonder if I, if I may. I wonder because uh, let me let me uh, um, take the humble approach of saying, <laughs> which I try all the time to do, <laughs> that that. Um, Continuous improvement. I, I think I've heard some stuff that I actually want to look at as well in terms of the process, and and so my my concern uh, is perhaps that I don't. I, I want to ask your permission that in seeing the process and clarifying it further, that we're not that we're not just coming back to you with clarification of the process, but if through further explanation we decide that there or we divine that there's more that we could do to. Change the process, or whether this means that we need to redo it, or what have you—you you know, the full uh, range of what might be possible—that uh, that 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 we're getting the latitude to do that. So I'm not just coming back to you with, yeah, with yeah. the same thing. Process. Process. Yeah. Let me just say that the process is your process, right? Yeah. If, if during this kind of review you discover that there could have been some additional clarifications, we have not, right, in any way limited. Your ability to bring that back for a recommendation, right? But I just don't want to, as a committee, right, tie your hands in what you can or cannot do. Understand? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Rivera, they don't have any questions either. I'm just asking a question. Does this, is this clear to you? No, yeah, no, it's clear. I think that part of it will be as we do our documentation review. It, as is the case with many evaluation processes, one one vendor asks a question, they all get the answers, right? And Correct. so that's and and that's kind of practice process that I'm very comfortable with relaying in terms of um, the documentation to show that we're on the same page. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Okay. I'm going to call the question. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Bunchy. How are we done? The last item is discussion of committee Jeez. planning. Do we want to look at, um, are there any changes that, uh, Trustees want to make to the issues tracking or any recommendations from staff regarding the issues? No, I, didn't. I didn't have any suggestions. No, I'm good with it. Okay. So, without um, yeah. local vendor review, timely. Yes. Any other comments from trustees? Thank you. Thank you. Still Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. Oh, man.